great things going on, and I love to study the Word of God. And boy, tonight we come to a great study of the book of Hebrews. And I just want to ask, out of curiosity, anybody get in here did not grab the notes out there, okay? Anybody at all? If you didn't, go out and grab some. Otherwise, you're going to be lost because uh, if, if you've been here and you're sitting next to somebody, I cover the material rather quickly, and it's all up on the slides. But uh, how many of you are fairly familiar with the book of Hebrews? Raise your hand, all right? So it looks like maybe about a third of you. This is a great study, and if you notice here, uh, I always like to just throw this picture up because we're studying the books of the Bible. There's 66 books, and what we did was we actually began between the Old and the New Testament, and so we, we started in that 400-year period, and then we moved into the very first book of the Gospels, which was Matthew. We made it all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We went all the way through. Those blue books are what are called the church epistles. The word epistle is another word for letters. We call them books in our Bible, but really they were letters that God gave to maybe many of them were to Paul. Wow, that's pretty cool. You're getting good with that. And uh, he blew those up so we can actually read them. And so Paul wrote those letters. Now, again, these, this is God's word. And if you look at the red books, let's see if he can do this. There we go. The red books, these are called general epistles. All right. So tonight we get started with the book of Hebrews. And then notice we have James, 1st and 2nd Peter. Then we have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. And, of course, the big book at the end, the book of Revelation. So we're moving through here. And, and with the Lord's help, we have a few weeks where we've got some missionaries that'll be with us, and of course, our missions conference, but I think we should be able to get through the New Testament by the end of this year, and then we'll launch out into the Old Testament. That's 39 books, <laughs> and so we'll, we'll tackle some of that as we get into the new year, if the Lord will allow us to do that. So here we are tonight. We're in the book of Hebrews, and if you have your Bible, uh, a lot of the verses you'll see on the slides, some I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you probably just look and I'll probably drive the guys crazy in the sound room because I tried to give them as much as I could. But, you know, if the Lord leads me to share some other verses, then, then I'll do so tonight. And, uh, but if you have your Bible, that way you can follow along. Now, the book of Hebrews, I like to give a little title to each book. And I like to call this book the book of shadows and substance. The book of shadows and substance. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 8 tonight. Hebrews chapter number 8, and I want, I want you to, now you look at the word shadows, okay, and you're thinking shadow, shadow. I mean, I think we understand what a shadow is, all right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this talk before, but watch this. The Old Testament concealed is the New Testament revealed. So in other words, when you study your Bible, many things you find in the Old Testament they actually come to light in the New Testament. Now, let me, give you, let me give you a thought here. In the Old Testament, you don't see the New Testament church. There's nothing there in the Old Testament about the church that we're a part of today, all right? Everybody understand what I'm saying? So not everything you see in the New Testament, do you see it in the Old Testament. You get what I'm saying tonight? But what you find, like with the church is, is that Jesus came 
in the New Testament to establish the church. Now, what do you find in the Old Testament? You find the, the nation of Israel. Okay? Now, Israel is not the church. There are people that erroneously teach that. They teach that Israel it, it became the church. That's not the Bible. That's not what the Word of God teaches. But see, when we talk about the book of Hebrews, we're talking about shadow and substance. Now, the word shadow is the, is the Greek word skia, and here's what it means, if you want to jot this down. It's, it means shade that is caused by the interception of light. That's what a shadow, skia, is. It's shade that's caused by the interception of light. Okay, this is just bonus. This isn't blanks on your paper. So if you're looking for where am I at, this is, this is extra. Since you guys paid for this, I'm going to give you a bonus tonight, all right? Now, now, when you talk about shadows, okay, here it is. It's an image that is cast. It's, it, in other words, something that is an object, it becomes a form, okay? So thinking about this, when you think about a shadow, look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 8. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 5. Look at this verse. The Bible says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the beginning of what today we would consider to be the church. But remember, the tabernacle was a portable uh, place, a meeting place for God. So they would set up the tabernacle and God would come down in the Holy of Holies. And then when God said it's time to move, they would pack everything up and they would move it. Now, eventually, the tabernacle was replaced with what? It, it was replaced with the temple. Okay, and, and who, who was the one that wanted to build the temple, but God wouldn't let him? David. And then who actually was the one that built the temple? Solomon, David's son. So, so here's the thing is, when you look at that, okay, again, the tabernacle, God in the Old Testament gave specific instructions, as it says here, in the mount. God told Moses, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I... In other words, God gave Moses the blueprint on how to build. In other words, when they built that tabernacle, the size of it, talking about the outer court, the inner court, and then how about this? Do you know about the pieces uh, that, that were in it? Anybody know what one of the pieces were inside of it? The table of showbread and the golden candlestick, right? All right. <laughs> and how about the most important thing? The Ark of the Covenant, right? Okay, all of those. And, and so God gave specific instructions about that. I don't know if you've ever studied it out, but every one of those pieces of furniture are types, shadows of Jesus. What a tremendous study that is. Now, we don't even have time to get into that tonight. But it's amazing when you study those pieces of furniture. Remember what Jesus said when he came in the New Testament? I am the bread of life. The bread that came down from heaven. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Hey, listen, 
without light in that holy of holies, the high priest couldn't see a thing. And so when you think about, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, you talk about the redemption of God and the blood of Jesus Christ and the mercy, the mercy seat of God. All of that, watch this, is shadows. Are you with me? Okay. And so stay with me tonight as we think about this. Turn your Bible over a chapter or two. Look at chapter number 10. We're talking about shadows. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. For the law having, uh, what's the word? A shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, look at the law can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers therefore perfect. In other words, the word perfect is mature. So listen, do you get this? Think about this. In the Old Testament, what did they do for their sins every year? They, They offered up a sacrifice, an animal, right? And the Bible's talked about how that for each family, they had to offer up, you know, a a lamb for a family. If they were poor, then then it was two birds and so on. And so look here, let me ask you this question. Did the blood of any of those animals ever save anyone? No, but see what that was, it was was a shadow of what was going to become a reality when the lamb of God Jesus came in the New Testament. Are you starting to get the picture here? Shadows and substance, all right? Look in your Bibles, turn over to chapter 11, verse number one. All this is just bonus tonight, all right? Look at verse number one. You should know this verse. Let's read it together out loud. Now, faith is the substance of things and the evidence. Yeah, shadows and substance. How should Christians live their lives? By faith, right? And not by what? Sight. But see, we struggle a lot of times. That's where the book of Hebrews, boy, there is so much good here to help us out. So let's dive into it tonight. As some of you, I can tell I've already lost you, but maybe it will get you back, okay? All right, look at the name of the book. It derives its name from those to whom it was written, and that would be Jewish Christians in general. Now, the reason I say that, and notice here, it says, not those of a local church specifically. So do you remember those, as we saw those those blue books that we've already covered? Like, for instance, the book of Philippians was written to the church in Philippi. The book of Romans was written to Christians in Rome. The book of Colossians was written to Christians where? Colossae, right? So you remember, those were letters that were written specifically to churches, okay? But when you come to the book of Hebrews, it wasn't written specifically to a church. It was actually written to Jewish Christians in general, okay? It wasn't a local church assembly that that it was written to. Now, when you look at the book of Hebrews, the whole of this book, this epistle, actually proves when you look at it, notice that it proves that it was written to the Jews. You can go through and you can see some of it, and we'll look at some of that here tonight, how you see it was written to Jews. Now, if it had been written to Gentiles, notice that they, the Gentiles could not have got a hold of or comprehended or understood the argument because they, many of them lacked an understanding or the knowledge of the Jewish system. Just like, look, today... Many of us, and I look, I've, I've learned a few things over the years, 
but a lot of us don't understand things even today about the Jewish system, about like right now, the Jews are going into some holy days. A lot of us, we've heard the names of those, but we really don't know what they're about. And see, if, it, if this book was written to Gentiles, Gentiles would not be able to understand because many of them lacked the knowledge of the Jewish system. And so we can understand as we look at it that the book was written to Jewish Christians in general. Now, the occasion of writing, there's, there's quite a bit here. Now, we've used this word before, Judaism, okay? Remember that man, and you know this to be true in our day, man is infamous for taking what God has given to us and turning it into a religion, okay? Can religion save someone? No, Jesus saves, right? But see, man will always take something and turn it into a religion. Now, what is Judaism? If you look at Judaism, as we see it in the Word of God, what it is, is it's a system, a religious system of works. And so as you look at this book in the New Testament, Judaism, in, in, as, as this was being written in the first century, Judaism still existed a powerful influence in the world at that time. And by the way, it still is. And the Hebrew Christians, they had to face many problems. Now, let me just stop here because I, I want to make sure you get this. Look at me for a second. We're talking about two different factions of Jews. Okay? You have the Jews that hold to, to, to a lot of tradition, a lot of things that the, the, the Jews in the Bible and still even today, many of the Jews have missed the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. So many of them, like people like I grew up as I was younger, holding on to a system of works. I could do this. I could do this. I could get baptized. I could go to church. I could give money, and I would be saved. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? But watch this. And then you have Jews to whom this book was written that were Jewish, but they were saved by the grace of God. They trusted Christ as their Savior. So watch. Those Jews and Jewish Christians, they're different. Because these Jews that are Christians, they're, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. These Jews over here are saying, look, you don't have to believe on Jesus. He was a good man. He was a teacher. But he can't help you. What will help you is the law. Do you get it? Okay, I'm trying to paint a picture. Because it's important you understand this as you look at the book of Hebrews, because that's what the writer is dealing with, is some of the problems that these Jewish Christians were dealing with. Now, let's take a look at what are some of the problems that they dealt with. The first one is the rabbinical teachings were hard to, to unlearn. Uh, he, you know, we, a lot of times we talk to people about the Lord, and, and we say it this way sometimes, in order to see a person get saved, they have to first get lost. You understand the statement? Watch this. You grow up in church all your life, or maybe you've gone to a couple different kinds of churches. Whatever you've learned is ingrained. Remember those days? I remember what it was like when I first started hearing the truth, because to believe the truth of the Word of God means that I have to disbelieve everything I've been taught. So, so notice here, those teachings that they received from the rabbis, those were teachings that were hard to unlearn. Number two, another problem that they, these Jewish Christians dealt with 
was the Jewish traditions were even stronger and harder to overcome. Uh, even in the days of Jesus, when he was on this earth, they were blinded. These Jews were blinded by some of the traditions that they had. Now, remember, traditions are man-made. Now, God gives us things, but those are not traditions. Like, for instance, we don't call the Lord's table a tradition. That's an ordinance. And Jesus said, do this as oft as ye will. I think we need to be careful about becoming ritualistic in our worship of God. And that's one of the things that these uh, Jews dealt with, these Judaistic Jews. And so notice the third thing, and we talked a little bit about this already. Another problem they had to deal with was the temple was still standing in Jerusalem at this time, the writing of the book of Hebrews. And there was a strong fascination with the impressive temple ritualism and the sacrifices that were being carried out on a daily basis. People were enamored by this. Now look what the Bible says in, in your notes there in Hebrews 10, 11. It says, every priest standeth, notice this, daily. Every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. And notice this statement, which can never take away sins. Well, then why in the world did they just continue to do that? They just needed to understand that it's not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, did you make that up? No, actually, that statement's in the book of Hebrews, all right? And the book of Hebrews helps us understand that it's not by the blood of animals. That's, listen, that's why we don't sacrifice animals today. Because Jesus paid for the sins of the world once and for all. And so we see here, these are problems that they're dealing with. Notice number four, that another problem was family ties. Family ties were really strong among the Jews. And again, they were very hard to break. You know, listen, it's tough when you got family and they're pressuring you. Some of you are like me. I, I dealt with that when I first got saved as a Christian. A lot of family pressure. And the same thing among these, these Judaistic uh, Jews of that day. And then notice number five, Jewish tempers and opposition were difficult to combat. I mean, when, boy, when you, start, when you start giving the truth to people, People are either going to accept it or they're going to reject it. And the people that reject it, they're going to get, the, the word that I always, when I look at it, like the Apostle Paul, he was vehement. I mean, that means that he had a, an utter hatred for God and anything to do with God. And that's, that was some, a problem they were dealing with, is Jewish tempers. And then number six, the trend in the church, now we're talking about the saved Jewish Christians now, okay, the trend in the church was actually more towards Gentiles than it was Jews, and so therefore there was a hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles. Now that, that hostility, when it, says, when it says between the Jews and Gentiles, that's not talking about saved Jews, Christian Jews, that's talking about these Jews over here because they felt like that the Gentiles, that the Bible says they called dogs, that the Gentiles shouldn't be included. So there's like a major rift between uh, these, these Jews and Gentiles, and that still existed here. And look at this statement, the unbelieving Jews, that's this group of Jews over here, those that were steeped in Judaism, the unbelieving Jews, they continued to employ their power, and why did they do that? For the purpose of withdrawing the believing brethren from the Christian faith. So he, look here, remember how I showed you earlier, 
the Jews over here that were steeped in Judaism that said, look, the only thing you need is the law. The only thing you need to do is to follow Moses and not this Jesus, which is really sad because the Jewish people are, are the ones that Jesus came to. He came to save them from their sins. So these Jews over here are saying to these, hey, look, you need to withdraw from this. You need to, you need to get right and come back over here where you belong. And, and that's what we see when we, when we think about the occasion of the writing of this. So these unbelieving Jews, what were they doing? They were employing persecution, threats. Uh, they were using arguments about the Jewish religion. They were doing everything they could to try to get Jewish Christians to withdraw from following after the Lord and come back over to their ways. And then notice what they would do, and this is, this is key, is they argued that Moses was far superior to Jesus of Nazareth. Now think about that. Moses. Remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and there was Moses and Elijah, and when they looked up, Moses was gone, Elijah was gone, and just Jesus was there. You know. Now again, Moses represents that period where God gave his law, and the law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But see, the Jews, what they're doing is they're actually lifting up Moses and doing this with Jesus. And that's sad because Moses cannot save anyone from their sins. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews actually sensing the discouragement due to the persecution that these Jewish Christians were under, the disappointment because of their messianic hopes had not yet been realized. And by the way, Jews' messianic hopes are still today not realized because many of them have missed it. Now, those that are saved understand that. But then also the writer, he knew that there were some that already had given into this matter of apostasy, falling away from the truth because of the pressure, and then realizing that there was a constant danger of them falling back into Judaism. He wrote this book, this epistle that we call the book of Hebrews. Now, look at these six things as he wrote, because he was, look, he, was, he, he knew of the imminent danger that these were under, the persecution, the, the persuasion, the power that these Judaizers were using. Hey, listen, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John again, and look at all the times that, that, that the Pharisees, they were Judaizers, were constantly pressuring Jesus and badgering Jesus and trying to trip him up in his own words, all right? So you, it'll help you understand. So look at these six things because he wrote there to help them because he said, look, I'm afraid that they could fall back into this system of work. So notice the first one is he wrote this epistle to stress the superiority of Christ over Judaism. Jesus is greater than any religious system. And, and you know, yeah, I even think about the religious system that I grew up in where what they do is they actually elevate the church almost more than they do Jesus. Well, what do you see when you study the Bible? Christ started the church. He said, I will build my church. And then he purchased the church with his own blood. Hey, listen, he's the head of the church. The church is not, they, they want to call church mama. No, no, no. It's Jesus. He's the head of the church. So he, he wrote to stress the superiority of Christ over Judaism. Notice the second reason that he wrote was to stop or to arrest 
apostasy. And I've given you the scriptures here where you can find these. Matter of fact, go in your Bible, go back over to Hebrews chapter number 3, and I want you to see a couple verses here. Because sometimes we talk about apostasy, we really don't fully understand it. But in chapter 3, look at the Bible says in verse number 6. The Bible says, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So in other words, look, we've received the truth and, and, and we have the Lord, but he says we need to hold on to that to the end. Look in the same chapter, look at verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ. Notice again the word if. We hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast under the end. Now, uh, look, it's hard. Anybody else find it hard to live the Christian life? You know, it's like every day, uh, people want to badge you, people are making fun of you, people are calling things into question, your own family, and you know, hey, listen, why don't you leave all that Jesus stuff behind and come back to the church that you grew up in and so on. And so why did he write to stop this matter of apostasy falling away? Notice number three, he wrote the book of Hebrews to encourage and stimulate faith. And of course, you go to chapter six and you see a great passage there, the first 12 verses. Number four, he wrote to show that the Old Testament system, here we go, back to where we started, was only a shadow. It was just a shadow of the things to come, all right? Number five, he wrote to show the Old Testament sacrifices were already, they were already at this time abolished by Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross in the first century, from that point on, look, the Lamb of God was slain. There was no need anymore for a sacrifice because Jesus' sacrifice atoned. We call it, the Bible uses the word propitiation. It means God was satisfied with the sacrifice of his own son. And then number six, the sixth reason he wrote, because he was concerned they would fall back into Judaism, was to urge these believers, these Jewish believers, to live up to their privileges. And then here's a phrase out of the book of Hebrews, to go on to perfection. And that's what God wants for you and I, is to go on to perfection. In other words, that we are to be growing in Christ, maturing in the Lord every day of our lives, to go on to perfection. Now look at the contents of the book. The book of Hebrews sets forth the superior excellency of Christ. And notice he was more excellent, superior, than look what the Bible shows us here in the book of Hebrews. He was superior to angels, to men. He was superior to Moses, to Joshua, to Aaron, and his sons, which was the Levitical priesthood. And notice that his priesthood and sacrifice uh, to the Levitical priesthood and its sacrifices. So look, Jesus is greater than all. And that's what the, the book of Hebrews shows us in its contents. Now it teaches the book of Hebrews is the true knowledge of the mysteries of the law. So again, you find the Old Testament now coming to substance in the New Testament, and it points out to, the, to those that read it, the design, the use, and the abolishing of its ceremonies, and it prepares them for what afflictions and persecutions they would be called to endure for Christ. 
Look, you remember uh, probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews is chapter what? 11. It's called the, we call it the Hall of Faith. And there's a couple verses, I think it's around verse 38, 39, where it talks about how people were sawn asunder. Uh, people, as a matter of fact, look at that, look at that verse there, chapter, chapter number 11. It says here, uh, verse 34, uh, we'll start in verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And the Bible says in verse 36, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. That means cut in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. The Bible says, of whom the world was not worthy. See, these people were martyred for their faith. These people understood what it meant to endure for the cause of Christ. Notice in your notes that another part of the contents of the book of Hebrews was to exhort these, these Jewish Christians to continue and to strengthen themselves against apostasy, against Judaism, and notice as well as instructing them in the various duties of their faith. So as Christians, look, this is a great book for us to study because it helps us to understand the tenets of our faith, what we should hold true. And so notice the character of the book of Hebrews is what? It's doctrine. The book of Hebrews con contains a lot of our beliefs and our teachings, what we hold as our doctrinal beliefs. Now, the subject of the book of Hebrews is Christ as someone better than, someone better than. And his work is something better than anything in Judaism. See, Jesus and what he did, the person and the work of Christ is better than anything Judaism would come up with. The purpose of the book of Hebrews, here it is, I've been talking about this, to draw the, the Hebrew Christians back to Judaism, uh, those that, that were going uh, into Judaism, to draw them back to Christ and His work, and then to draw believers today unto Christ out of a life of formality and a life of just mere profession. So look, God doesn't want us now that we're saved to just just kind of live a, a, a normal Christian life. God wants us to enjoy the Christian life, to live it to its fullest, and to not be hung up when, in this matter of formalism, but to enjoy every aspect of the Christian life. And so we see here the purpose of the book of Hebrews. Now, I love the outline. It's Even though it's 13 chapters, notice it's just really kind of divided two ways. And the first division really is the first 10 chapters, and you see the breakdown there, but it deals with... Christ is better than the Old Testament economy. So notice this phrase, Christ is superior. And if you go through those first 10 chapters, he's superior to the prophets. He's superior to angels, Moses, Joshua, to the Levitical priesthood. And then notice he is our high priest. And Jesus ministers in superior sanctuary by a better covenant built upon better promises. And I just love it how that word better just keeps coming up, coming up in the book of Hebrews, better than anything that Judaism can come up with 
And so that's what we see in the first 10 chapters. Now look at the last three chapters. It deals with Christ brings better benefits and better things for our lives in the area of duties. So chapter 11 is this matter of faith. Chapter 12 is hope. And chapter 13 is love. And of course, you see those in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, faith, hope, and love. And that's what the end of the book of Hebrews is all about. So there's a great outline you can study and use that as you go through the book of Hebrews. The writer, now look at this, other times we've identified the author of the book of Hebrews really does not identify himself as the writer. A lot of people do believe that it was the Apostle Paul. There are some that suggest that maybe it was Apollos, uh, which was a, a, a key figure uh, even in Paul's day. Some would say that it might have been Luke or even Barnabas. But I, I really believe that as you study it, there's a lot of internal evidence. What I mean is, as you read through it, you see much of what you find in some of Paul's other writings, those epistles to the churches. Uh, so you see in the internal evidence that uh, you might conclude as you see some th things there that Paul was the human author and there are some variances in Paul's style, some of the language that you don't find. Now again, that doesn't mean that it wasn't Paul, uh, but again, I'm, not, I'm never going to argue with someone. There may be some people here tonight that, that do not believe Paul was the writer. And I, honestly, I think that's one of those things that I don't think it's going to matter uh, as far as eternity is concerned. But I think a lot of times curiosity, we want to know who it was that wrote it. But the fact that Paul's writings many times were addressed to Gentiles and Hebrews, but in this particular book, it is addressed to Jews specifically those Jewish Christians. So again, the author does not identify himself. When and where was it written? Uh, probably somewhere between 63 and 65 AD. Again, we're talking about uh, after the time of Christ in the first century. Uh, we know that it was certainly written before 70 AD because 70 AD, and you could study this even outside of the word of God, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and it was destroyed by Titus. Now, that's not the Titus that we just studied after First and Second Timothy. That's a different Titus. This Titus is actually the son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, and uh, so he was the one that was sent in and, of course, uh, destroyed the city, the temple, and so on. And so this is when and where. Now, the book of Hebrews indicates, as you read it, that the temple was still standing. We mentioned that earlier. So again, that means that it was written sometime before 70 AD. Notice, I get that, there's a couple places, but in your notes there, Hebrews 8, 4 gives some indication that at this time the temple was still there. It says, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So at this time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, there were still priests performing their priestly duties and that would have taken place in the temple. Now, it's not known where the epistle was written from, uh, but although the expression that you find in Hebrews 13 says, they of Italy salute you, that might indicate uh, where it may have been written from, or at least the country, which would have possibly been in Rome. And the Bible says, salute all them that have rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. So, some believe that it was written in Rome, but again, can't be super dogmatic about it, but you do see that statement in the last chapter. Now, the two key chapters are chapters 9 
and chapters 11. And when you see those, they kind of go back to our theme or title to the book of Hebrews, which is shadows and how those shadows give way to reality. Remember, the, the, the title that we gave it is Shadows and Substance. Old Testament going into New Testament, things that you maybe saw the shadow of it, but as the light of Jesus came, it be, we began to see some things take shape, begin to form in the book of Hebrews and in the New Testament. Now, the key verses is chapter 1 and verse 3, chapter 1 and verse number 3, and notice there on the screen, I love this verse, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, talk, this is talking about Jesus uh, upholding all things by the word of his power, which he had by himself. Notice, no one else saved us from our sins. Jesus came. God could have chosen any means, but Jesus gave his life and he purged our sins. And after he uh, shed his blood for our sins, the Bible says he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So where is Jesus today? He's sitting at the right hand of God. Remember the, the mother of the sons of thunder, the sons of Boranges? She asked, she said, uh, Lord, can one of my sons sit on your right hand and on your left? Remember Jesus said, that's not for me to decide. And the rightful place for the Son of God is at the right hand of the Father, and that is where he is today. And then chapter 11, there's two verses there, and we just read the one, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that's substance. And then notice verse 40 here, how God, having provided, here it is again, some better thing for us, it says that they without us should not be made perfect. So again, God working and God, God allowing us to have what we have through his son Jesus. The key words, of course, the one that really kind of brings it home is the word better. And that's mentioned 13 times throughout the writing of the book of Hebrews. Also, you see the word heaven mentioned 15 times. And I, I love this, the word once or the word one, uh, you see that nine times. Look, if you have your Bible, go to chapter nine. Hebrews chapter 9, this is a great verse. You might want to remember this verse if you're ever talking to somebody uh, and, and witnessing to them. In Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 28, last verse. So Christ was, what's the word? Christ was what? Once offered. How many times was Jesus offered? How many times did Jesus die? How many times did Jesus die for the sins of the world? Once. There wasn't many deaths. So watch this. The reason I bring this up is there are people in religions today who believe that you, if you sin, you can lose your what? Your salvation. Well, look, Jesus died once. So if look, if you can get saved and then because of your sin lose your salvation and then you have to get saved again, that would mean Jesus would have to get be crucified over and over in other words, his death wouldn't have been enough. But the Bible tells us right here, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and the Bible says, and, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So again, the word better, great word here, the key word. And then you see the key phrase, this is a great phrase, no more, no more. Take your Bibles, look at chapter 8 if you're right there. Look at verse number 12. Chapter 8, verse 12, 
for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Boy, all God's people will say amen, right? God says, I, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember? What's those last two words? God says, I'll, I'll remember them no more. God says, I have spiritual amnesia. As far as the east is from the west, uh, that our sins are buried in the depths of the sea, never to be remembered anymore. Look, we remember our sins, but God doesn't. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn over to uh, chapter number 10. Look at verse number 2, I, th just using these two words, no more, all right? Look at verse 2. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged, in other words, got saved, should have had no more conscience of sin. Boy, that's pretty good right there. Look in that same chapter. Go to, go to verse number 17. Verse 17. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember what? No more. Look at verse 18. Now where remission or forgiveness of these sins is, there is no more offering for sin. See, Jesus took care of our sins at Calvary when he gave his life. Look in that same chapter, verse 26. The Bible says here, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth, there, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So again, you see that key phrase there over and over and over again, and that's just a few of the verses that you would see. The key thought Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And I apologize, you have a phrase there from last week uh, that should, that's, that's not uh, set things in order. I'm sorry about that. It should say Jesus is greater. So scratch that one out. That's my bad. And put the words there. The key thought is Jesus is greater. The spiritual thought to the book of Hebrews, this is a wonderful one. Here it is. Jesus is our intercessor at the throne of God. Jesus is our intercessor at the throne of God, and you can see that. Matter of fact, look at chapter 7, look at verse 25. Chapter 7, verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Look, were you like me, some of you, that when you were, when you were growing up and you were part of a religious system, and you were taught you had to go into a little booth, and you had, to, you had to kneel down, and you had to confess to some man your sins, and then he would tell you to say so many Hail Marys and so many Our Fathers, and you thought to yourself when you walked out of there, and you went and did that vain repetition, it meant absolutely nothing. You, you thought to yourself, I wonder if God forgave me of my sins. I remember thinking that every time. And when I came to know Christ as my Savior and I saw that he ever liveth to make intercession. You know what that means? When we pray, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. That as we pray to the Son, guess who the Son's related to? The Father. And Jesus makes intercession. Hey, listen, if we went to God without the Son, it'd be a little bit more of a difficult task. But God would still love us. But I'm sure glad that Jesus is always making intercession for us, and that's what he is, our intercession. And look at this. When you look at the book of Hebrews, here's how you see Christ in the book of Hebrews. The Bible actually calls him, in chapter 3 and verse 1, the apostle 
and high priest of our profession. That's what, that's what Jesus is. Now, what is an apostle? It's one that was sent. It was an ambassador. It was a delegate. That's what Jesus was. Jesus came, uh, left heaven. He became the ambassador for us, and he entered into the holy place one time, and he poured out his precious blood so that our sins, those past, present, and future, that we can have eternal life. He is the apostle and our high priest of our profession. Now, I want to end tonight, and I, there's so many things. I wish I could share more, but I think there are so many things that are unique just to the book of Hebrews that you don't see in other books of the Bible. And let me share a few of these with you. Maybe you know more of these, but I love as you study through. Number one, write this down. As you study it, what's unique is that it does not begin with an address like the other epistles do, although it does close with a benediction or a signing off, okay? So a lot of the other church epistles we look at, Paul gave some sort of, just like if we wrote a letter, we would write, Dear John, or whatever. We would start it with, a, with some sort of address. This, this book does not begin with an address like the other epistles. Number two, what's unique about the book of Hebrews is it's like a miniature Bible, now, the reason I say it that way is because when you start in, in reading the book of Hebrews and you end it, here's what you find is the Bible begins with God in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning, you find here God created the heavens and the earth. And the, the Bible actually ends with the heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. And notice that it begins with Christ and it, there's Christ from the beginning to the end. Well, when you study the book of Hebrews, you find the exact same thing, that the book begins with God. Matter of fact, go to chapter one, look at it. Hebrews chapter number one. What's the very first word of the book? What is it? God. It just, it starts with the person of God, God who had sundry times and diverse manners, and then it continues there and it ends talking about uh, the, our heavenly Jerusalem, of course, what the Lord's going to do in the days ahead. And that's unique. You don't see that in other books. It's like a miniature Bible, all of it condensed into 13 chapters. Then notice number four, you find here, or excuse me, uh, number three, that the book of Hebrews is the commentary. You understand what a commentary is? It's, it's something put together. It kind of gives you a more fuller of something else. There's some commentaries. By the way, there's some books out there if you didn't see them. Uh, from Brother Gilbert. If you want any of those books, help yourself. But there are some commentaries out there. And what the book of Hebrews is, it's a commentary on the book of Leviticus. When you study the book of Leviticus, you find a lot of what are called the ceremonial laws that God gave to the nation of Israel, uh, to the Jewish people. And so notice here that it, it is a book that shows that Christ is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law, the superiority of Christianity over Judaism. Now, Christianity is not a religion. The Bible says that as we trust Christ, they were first called Christians. So when we get saved, we become a child of God. So this book, the book of Hebrews, shows us the superiority of knowing Christ as your Savior over a system of works, which is identified as Judaism here. And so notice that Christ is better than anything, any type that was pointing to him. So again, Jesus is the fulfillment 
And you can see that throughout the Old Testament coming to light in the New Testament. These are all unique to the book of Hebrews. Look at number four. Hebrews is the faith book. It shows the error of works. That is a, a matter of works to save a person or declare one righteous. It's, it is a, a faith book. Number five, the book of Hebrews is a preventative book for apostasy. So a lot of times if you know somebody that maybe once held to the truth, but they're starting to fall away from or move away from, by the way, that's what Israel did. They walked away from God. And so this book helps people that are falling away. That was the writer. He, he knew there was that danger of these Jew, Hebrews that, that, that were saved of them falling into this apostasy and away from God, departing from the faith. And th that's what the book of Hebrews is. Number six, the message of the book of Hebrews, yes, it does emphasize Christ, but there are three things that you find that it is also filled with. Letter A, it's filled with warnings. Those warnings that you see, I listed them here, the Bible tells us in Hebrews to not ne neglect our great salvation. Listen, don't ever get over your salvation. Don't abuse the, the, the privilege to be a child of God. Notice it also t gives us a warning to not harden our hearts against the Holy Spirit of God. It mentions a couple times, it talks about as in the days of the provocation. That's talking about what the children of Israel did in the Old Testament and how they provoked God, that they, uh, they actually uh, time and time again hardened their hearts against God himself. It also warns us not to become slothful. Another word for slothful is lazy. And we need to make sure that we're not lazy Christians. It also warns us to not draw back into apostasy, a false system of beliefs. And then it warns us to not sin and reject Jesus. These are all warnings that you find in the book of Hebrews. Notice letter B. The book also is filled with comparisons. And we've covered a lot of these so I'll just give them to you quickly. He's, Jesus is greater than the prophets, than the angels, than Moses, Joshua. Jesus' priesthood is greater than the priesthood of Aaron, the New, the New Testament, or the New Covenant. Boy, <clears throat> read and study that. Chapter 10. Uh, the, the New Covenant, the Bible talks about that it, that it was established with the death of the testator. So you can't have a testament without the death of a testator. Well, the testator is Jesus. And when Jesus died, what happened was he established, that's why we call our church, or what we are, we are a New Testament church because we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful study in, in Hebrews chapter number 10 and how the new covenant is greater than the old covenant and then the blood of Christ is greater than the blood of animals. And we covered that earlier. And then notice letter C, is this matter of redemption. You find that as you look in the book of Hebrews, you find that it speaks of the suffering and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It gives us the high priestly ministry of Jesus, the new covenant, the blood of Christ, and the reward for in the enduring faith that we have. Now, I, I couldn't let you get away tonight without giving you one more, okay? See if you can write the word Melchizedek. Okay, if you can't, turn in your Bible, go to chapter number 7, Hebrews chapter number 7. A lot of times people, uh, they, they wonder about Melchizedek. You find Melchizedek mentioned in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament of your Bible. Now, I want you to look in chapter number 7 because remember 
shadows and substance. Remember that? That's how we started. That's the emphasis of the book of Hebrews. Now, here's what you find. Look in chapter 7 and verse number 1. For this Melchizedek, notice it says he was the king of Salem. Now, Salem is a word that's synonymous with Jerusalem. Okay? So he was, this was a literal man that Abraham gave tithes to in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he was a priest, so he was a king and he was a priest. Now, you know what you find when you study the Word of God? Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. See, no one held all three of those offices, but Jesus does. And this Melchizedek that's mentioned, he was the king of Salem, he was the priest of the Most High from the slaughter of the kings, and notice, and he blessed him, talking about Abraham. So here's the thing is, before we read the rest of this, Remember, in the Old Testament, it talked about this man, this king, this priest known as Melchizedek. Now, do you remember as you study the book of Genesis, that as you read the book of Genesis, that Isaac is a, watch this, here's the word, type or shadow of Jesus in the New Testament. Because Isaac laid his life down. Remember, his father was going to take his life, he put him on the altar, and he, he took the knife and he was going to drive it into his son. He was going to take his life. So Isaac, you also find in the Old Testament, Joseph is a beautiful picture or type of Jesus in the New Testament. Well, guess who Melchizedek is? Yes, he was a king. He was a priest. But we also see that he was a shadow of the reality of Jesus that would come to be our great high priest. Now, having said that, I want you to follow along with me. Look, at, look back in chapter 7, and look what it says here. Look at verse number 2, talking about Melchizedek, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness. Did you notice how king is capital K and righteousness, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now what is Jesus? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Look at verse 3. Describing Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth, the tithe, of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here, Men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Now, stay with me. Look at verse 9. And as I may say, so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection or maturity were by the Levitical priesthood, and by the way, it's not, 
says, For under it, under the Levitical priesthood, the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident, watch this, that our Lord Jesus sprang out of which tribe? Judah. Of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, that's talking about Jesus, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. Boy, what a statement there. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. How do we come to God? Through Jesus. And in so inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will, and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were, they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also, this is talking about Jesus, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us. Remember the Bible says Jesus took upon himself the form of, of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's what it's talking about here. It says that this high priest became us who is holy. He's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins because he was sinless and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Jesus became sin for us. The Bible says, For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmities, have sins, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Wow. Talk about a chapter. Talk about a concept. You're talking about principles here. There is so much there. I could preach for a year and a half from Romans, Hebrews chapter number 7. And it's all talking, watch this, talking about a shadow, Melchizedek, and the substance that it became. That what it was in the Old Testament, yes, it was a king, but it was a shadow of what Jesus would come and do for us. Melchizedek and Moses and, and Aaron could never atone for our sins. No animals 
but God gave us a better way, and that better way was Jesus. The book of Hebrews, boy, you talk about a rich book in the Bible. This is a tremendous book. How many of you know right now that if you started studying it this week, you'd probably study this for quite some time. There is so much in the book of Hebrews, and so hopefully uh, that, that, that got you excited about the book of Hebrews. Whether you're excited or not, you can tell I am, all right? So anyway, well, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this evening, and I pray that you'd bless uh, the hearing of the word of God tonight. Thank you for this rich doctrinal book in our Bible. Help us to read it and study it. Lord, just chapter 7 alone and all that we have because of Jesus. Thank you for our great high priest, uh, the apostle of our profession that came so that we could have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for our salvation. And pray that you bless each one that's here tonight. Those that listen, give us a great week. Lord, keep us safe. Give us opportunities to tell others about you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.